Hello and welcome to episode 59 of the Viva Alberto's podcast. As always, my name is John Fleming. I'm a writer at Viva Alberto's, joined as always by Heather Simon. She's a writer and editor at Viva Alberto's. How are you doing, Heather? Hi, John. How are you? I'm doing all right. <laughs> for some reason, she started laughing there. We're actually, this is a, a big moment for our uh, podcast development. We're actually recording it not on Skype, so hopefully we're going to not keep interrupting each other and hopefully you guys don't get used to it because <laughs> who knows, but... Uh, it should be a fun one, and as anybody who is following our uh, progress on this particular episode knows, we're doing a little award show tonight. It's the uh, Viva Alberto's Podcast Awards, as I'm calling them. That's a very catchy name, I thought. <laughs> and uh, we're just going to give out some awards. We had uh, people vote on who they wanted for MVP, Cy Young, and Rookie of the Year for the American League, National League, and just for the Cardinals, and we give out some hardware tonight. You excited for this, Heather? I am. I've, uh, the anticipation is palpable, I think, yeah. is the phrase. That is, I, let's go with it, yeah. <laughs> we're both we're both dressed up for the occasion, obviously, or hopefully everybody's listening is dressed for an award show as well, and if you're not, please pause, please put on a tuxedo or a <laughs> fancy ballroom gown, whatever you consider to be appropriate for the occasion. But, you know, without further ado, let's let's start giving out some hardware, all right? All right, all right and uh, we're going to start off with American League Rookie of the Year. And just as any ballot that is submitted for Rookie of the Year has three names, we're going to go through the top three as voted on by you, by me, by Heather, by anybody who voted for the award. Uh, number three, to go from uh, bottom to the top, number three is Tyler Naquin of the Cleveland Indians. He had uh, 365 plate appearances on the season. He had a 296 batting average, 372 on base percentage, 514 slugging. He had 14 home runs, uh, 43 RBI. And he was worth 2.5 fan graphs, wins above replacement. Heather, you had him on your ballot, and <laughs> I did not have him on my ballot. I, I mean, he was a contender for the ballot, certainly. But what was your? What do you think are the strengths of? Tyler Naquin, as well as well as perhaps some things that were not so uh, hot for him that kept him from being higher than third. Well, really, the thing that kept him from being higher than third was just the fact that he wasn't as good as the people that I put first and second. <laughs> yeah, the, the, well, the two of us both had the same top two, and they're the top two that everybody agreed on. So, uh, but I I thought he deserved consideration just because he hit really well this year. Uh, decent, you know, average and on base percentage. Uh, w, like you mentioned earlier, WRC plus of one thirty five. So he, he hit pretty well, and he played in one hundred and sixteen games. So he had considerable playing time. And you know, the Indians. Not that this really matters so much, but they had a good year. So he played on a good team in some meaningful games and played well. So that's always kind of she's not as good as like other people. But so that's why he ended up being third, but uh, good enough to warrant. Yeah, one thing that worries me a little bit about Naquin is that he had a 411 batting average on balls in play this year, which anybody who's familiar with the stat can attest is a like a freakishly high total. And because yeah. it's his rookie year, I don't know that like maybe he's going to be a naturally high Babbitt kind of player. 411 would be unprecedented, you know, post like dead ball era. Like it just it seems unlikely he's going to keep that up. But at the same time, he did have the production this year, and you know you can say he got lucky, but you can also say that 
you know, the production, whether it was solely his talent or a matter of circumstance, was there. And he was still a key contributor of a team that ended up winning the American League Central, ended up winning the American League pennant. Maybe by the time this goes out, they won the World Series. I don't know. But regardless, <laughs> though, he had a good year. And congratulations to him on finishing third. And, you know, if the Babbitt thing ends up not holding up, maybe this is going to be like the height of his, you know, winning awards. So, and uh, let's just, I guess, move on to number two. <laughs> do we do a drum roll? Uh, we can do a drum roll. We got a table here. All right, number number two. As we hype up the award, we're probably the least interested in talking about of any of them. Yeah. Number two, though, is Gary Sanchez of the New York Yankees. He, you know, for a player who was getting consideration for Rookie of the Year, had relatively little playing time. Only played in fifty three games, two hundred twenty nine plate appearances, but was just absolutely dominant in those plate appearances. He had a two ninety nine batting average, three seventy six on base. This is where it really starts getting crazy. He had a slugging percentage of 657. He had 20 home runs. So a home run, almost one out of every 10 plate appearances. He had a 171 WRC+, plus, which if that if he were had enough plate appearances to qualify for the leaderboards, would have been second, I believe, in baseball. So, you know, a terrific player. And worth uh, 3.2 fan graphs, wins over placement, generally considered to have played above average defense and a catcher of all positions. We actually both had him at first on our ballots, but we'll respect the democratic process and allow (laughs) the person who actually got first place to take home the hardware. But I guess when it comes to this, the main question, it's sort of a matter of philosophy of would you rather have a guy who was a good player throughout the season or would you rather have a guy that was like a fantastic player for a shorter burst of time? Normally, I always err on the side of the player that played more. I don't know exactly why I do that, but I feel like it's more fair to give more merit to someone that actually played in the games because I think there is value in at least showing up, especially especially with catcher. And so um, my vote for him at first goes against my general philosophy just because he was so exceptional in that short amount of time. It was just kind of hard to discredit it. Well, uh... <laughs> Yeah, certainly I'm a little bit more on the side of going with guys who are exceptional in a shorter burst because I think particularly when you're looking at a guy, say like Gary Sanchez, who's on the New York Yankees, you know, they print money. So the replacement level for them is probably a little bit higher than you would think of what's generally considered a replacement level player. So I'd rather have a guy that's able to transcend that amount rather than a guy that's, you know, at or a little bit above it for a longer period of time. And I'm trying to check right now when San- Sanchez actually made his debut in October of last year. So technically this wasn't his debut, but you know this was a guy who started the season in AAA because Austin Romine beat him out for the backup catcher job behind Brian McCann. And he ended up making his debut for the season on August 3rd. So this is a guy who really only played two months in the major, actually a little bit less than two months in the majors, but... He was so good. He was so overwhelmingly talented that even if he's not able to keep up what he's done throughout his rookie campaign, it's hard to deny what he did up to this point. Okay, and number one for AL Rookie of the Year is Detroit Tigers pitcher Michael Fulmer. He had an 11-7 record on the season in 159 innings. He had a 3.06 ERA, a 3.76 fielding independent pitching. And in discussing Michael Fulmer, we brought on somebody who 
had him at number one on his ballot for Rookie of the Year. It is a man known on Viva Alberto's as Dr. Howell, known in life as George. Uh, George, first of all, how are you doing? Oh! Uh, that's ve- very on brand. I appreciate it. <laughs> and uh, hopefully you're going to use words for the yeah. analysis of, <laughs> of Michael Fulmer. But sort of, it's a little bit of a contrast because Heather and I both had Michael Fulmer as number two on our ballot. We had Gary Sanchez at number one on ours, and he ended up finishing second on ours. But what was your reasoning for Fulmer for Rookie of the Year? I don't know that much about the American League, first of all. And he seemed like he was a really reliable player. He just seemed to bring, like, above-average stats in every category. And... One of the main reasons is that I didn't see the field as all that competitive this year. He just kind of snuck in and got first. Yeah, I think in the case of Fulmer, it's a, him and Sanchez sort of contrast in a lot of different ways. Obviously, one's a pitcher, one's a hitter, but also the fact that Gary Sanchez was wildly productive, but it was in a very small period of time. And Fulmer was a more consistent presence for the Tigers throughout the season. Obviously, they didn't end up making the playoffs, but... You know, they came close, and a big part of that was the fact that Michael Fulmer was there and pitching effectively throughout the season. Yeah, like, personally, I just wasn't that aware of him, and I did not realize his stats were this good. I mean, 171 WRC plus is awesome. Yeah, well, again, had he played an entire season, it's unlikely he was going to keep that up, but... Well, his BABIP was only 317, that's not too bad. So, yeah, he had a good year. I just, and normally when I, like, look at these uh i usually err on the side of the player that played more just because i think that there's there i mean there's a value in actually playing even if there's like the wins above replacement value but there's also a value in being on the field just going out there and playing and so uh, i usually weigh that a little bit more but um because everyone else in the AL Rookie of the Year choices, they all were kind of underwhelming. Uh, yeah. it, it, like what you mentioned, like he just kind of snuck in. Uh, I, I still, I still was able to justify putting Gary Sanchez first just because even though he didn't play as much, everyone else in a longer period of time weren't near quite as exciting. But I mean, I, Fulmer did have a good year. Yeah, I think it's it was- just, I think some of the people detracting against Fulmer were not really excited about the fact that he had a pretty big uh, ERA FIP differential, 0.7 difference. But, I mean, I'm perfectly okay with giving a guy credit for his ERA, even if I don't necessarily think that he's going to be this good for the foreseeable future. He was good for 159 innings this year. And even if he never has a season like this again, it's I think it's okay to reward somebody for what he's done, even though yeah, I didn't put him first. This may be the only big award he gets. So. <laughs> yeah, and if Sanchez keeps up his 171 WRC+, plus, he may win every big award from now on. And now to move on to the American League Cy Young Award. Uh, fifth place for the AL Cy Young is Zach Britton of the Baltimore Orioles. He had uh, 69 games that he pitched in with 47 saves, 67 total innings. He had a .54 earned run average, a 1.94 fielding independent pitching. His xFIP was 2.09, so you know even the metric that makes him look the worst, he was still exceptional. He had a 2.5 fan graphs, wins above replacement. I guess when it comes to Britain, the main thing to bring up is just sort of the contrasting idea of how much to reward a relief pitcher versus a starting pitcher because you know while his rate stats were terrific he wasn't nearly 
logging the innings of the other guys who made this ballot. So, like Heather, where do you come down as far as rewarding a pitcher who's a reliever, even if he's an excellent reliever, versus a starter? I think with the Cy Young, it's a lot about who's the best pitcher in general. So I have no problem with rewarding a reliever. The problem with Britain is that I don't think he was even the best reliever in the American League, or at least he wasn't the most valuable. I don't really even think he's the best. I think there's other relievers with better stuff and provided more value. So that's why he does have the good ERA, the good rate stats, but I just don't see a Cy Young winner when I look at him, and I wouldn't have put him on, I didn't put him on my ballot. That's kind of how I feel about that. I have no problem giving it to a reliever, just not, you'd have to be a really, really good reliever. He just wasn't good enough. Yeah, I think when it comes to Zach Britton, like, first of all, I don't think, you know, when all said and done, that like going forward, he's going to be, you know, the best reliever in baseball or even like a top five reliever. I think that, you know, several guys, including a guy like Andrew Miller, who was more valuable by fan graphs, wins above replacement as a reliever this year, is better going forward. But I'm okay with rewarding a guy for his season, even if it's not sustainable. The problem with Britain, and you're not to knock on his case too much, like he had a very good season, certainly, is that I think he was very much, and this isn't really his fault, but he was very much pigeonholed into a very classic, you know, classic by modern standards, closer role. Like you saw it play out in the wild card game very notoriously. When he came in and saved their season and pitched within the tie game on the road. Is that the game you're talking about? Yeah, sure. Is that sure. what happened? That's absolutely what happened. As anybody who listened to our previous episode knows, we we have opinions about the way Zach Britton was used in that game. But regardless, I feel like he was getting rewarded for things. Like he had a 100% save conversion rate, which you know is fine and well. But if he had saved, say he'd saved like six more games and then blown a save, like does that all of a sudden mean he's worse? Like I don't know that it necessarily does. And, you know, when guys come in for, like, three-run three, in, three run lead saves, things like that, I don't think save rate is really the best stat to use to evaluate a pitcher, even a pitcher's value. And, like, you could argue that his leveraged innings give him more value. And I'm, generally speaking, willing to give more of a bump to a reliever, even if he has sort of a war deficit behind a starter. But in the case of Britain, it wasn't even really particularly close. I'm pulling up where Britain was on the the Fangraphs WAR leaderboard. It was you have to get to the third page of pitchers to even get to him. It looks like he was uh, 73rd on the leaderboard. He was, I mean, technically tied for 67th, and like he was behind even like Sungwon Oh, for example. He had f- less Fangraphs WAR than Mike Leake. Like it, and I'm willing to give him a bump and say that I would put Zach Britton on an MVP ballot ahead of Mike Leake, but or a Cy Young ballot, I should say. But I wouldn't put either one on. There were just so many candidates. Which again, I don't want to sound like I'm just knocking his season because he had a great season. But overall, did not make my ballot. But obviously, others disagreed. So he he gets the fifth place, and it's hard to deny that he earned it in that sense. And at number four on the uh, AL Cy Young ballot, without further ado, is Chris Sale of the Chicago White Sox. He had kind of a notorious season with the whole uh, jersey cutting up in July, but continued his excellence. Uh, he had 226 and two-thirds innings pitched, 17 and 10 record, 
uh, 3.34 ERA, 3.46 fielding independent pitching, 3.58 xFIP, uh, 5.2 Fangraphs WAR, which was tied in the American League among pitchers. And there's really like I don't really have anything I guess new to say about Chris Sale that we didn't know going into the season. Like he's a really good pitcher and he had a really good pitcher season. And like to me, this is the kind of season that necessitates getting like fourth place or so in Cy Young balloting. Like looking at the results we had, he was third on your ballot, he was fourth on mine, and yet I'm still kind of like, oh, he, he was good. I think he had a really good start to the season, maybe. Because it seemed like the hype was really high, and maybe that's because he is um, in a is he in a walk year, so he might be he he might have been a trade candidate. Well, he's not in a walk year, but he was a, considered a trade candidate because his contract is considered pretty favorable. So, okay. like even though he has that favorable contract, the White Sox aren't a particularly good team. So, in theory, they could get a pretty sizable haul for him yeah i'm looking at his contract now it says it's 2013 to 2017 with two option years so so yeah he has a yeah. couple and they're couple they're team years. option years correct yes they are they are team options so it's a it is a good contract so that's probably why they were dropping him around but it seemed like he got off to a really good start and then that whole i'm not going to blame the jersey cutting fiasco but it seemed like after that you didn't hear so much about him anymore, but I think when I voted, that was kind of in my mind was the start to the season that he had was pretty good, I think. And then yeah. it kind of tapered off, but it was still pretty good. Yeah, looking at his numbers in the first half, his like ERA and FIP and all that was kind of in line with what his total season was, but he had a really good record. So I think that may have altered the perception and I, like, I don't think either of us are really types of people that really look at a pitcher's win-loss record with very much, if any, credence. But, you know, a 14-3 record is going to look a lot better just on the stat sheet, even if it's coupled with similar, like, rate stats. So, so that may have been what was sort of creating the perception of him having a stronger start. But regardless, he had a very good season, and that's just kind of Chris Sale doing Chris Sale things. And at number three, we have Rick Porcello of the Boston Red Sox. Porcello had a 22-4 win-loss record, 223 innings, a 3.15 ERA, 3.40 fielding independent pitching, and he was worth 5.2 wins above replacement, which was tied for first place in the American League this season. In discussing Rick Porcello, we brought on a PEB game recapper to uh, help us out. His name is Joel Dotson. I keep blanking on your the exact uh, verbiage of your VEB name, so if you want to go ahead. That's okay, and... yeah. Zoom, zoom, J88. All right, cool. Thank you very much for helping me out with that. You're welcome. And, okay, and uh, as far as Porcello goes, I had Porcello third on my ballot. Heather had him, I, looks like, fourth, and you had him first, so kind of wanted to talk to somebody that had a little bit higher of an opinion than we did, though. I think we all acknowledge that they were all very close this year. Uh, as far as Porcello, though, the main thing that stands out for him is his 22-4 and record. Was your logic for picking him, like, was that an influence in it, or was it sort of other factors, and maybe that was a tiebreaker? Or what was your exact rationale? You know, I would say that it's mainly his win-loss in ERA, but a combination of the fact that when he was in Detroit having... Um, lived in tiger country, you know, watching him, he just didn't seem like he lived up to his potential. 
talking to Tiger fans, it sounded like, you know, he was supposed to be better than he ended up being. And I think it's just basically him having a career year. I don't see him having a year like this again, but yeah, I mean, even the turnaround in Boston from last year where he was 9.15 ERA near five to this year is quite an accomplishment. And, you know, awards like this are year by year basis. So yeah, I just think he had it based on how he played. Yeah, I mean, it shouldn't be a huge shock that, I mean, Porcello is still a relatively young pitcher, so it shouldn't be a huge shock that he was able to have a bounce back. But yeah, like once he went to Boston, the perception of him really took a negative turn where it turned into, you know, rather than being an up-and-coming young pitcher, it looked like he was going to kind of be stagnant and be part of a Red Sox rotation without any sort of true ace. And then in the offseason, they signed David Price, and it turns out when all is said and done that it's Porcello who had the, the best season of anybody in the Red Sox rotation. And at number two for the AL Cy Young is Corey Kluber of the Cleveland Indians. Kluber had a 18-9 win-loss record, 215 innings pitched. He had a 3.14 ERA, a 3.26 fielding independent ERA. It was a bit of a close battle for him going for the number one spot, but he ended up falling just a little bit short. But we have a couple people on here that had Kluber as their number one. One of them is Heather. Num- another one is... Uh, special guest of ours, he's a writer at VEB, Alex Crisofoli. Uh Alex, what was your, I guess, main rationale behind Kluber? Because it was definitely a packed group as far as the AL Cy Young. What gave him the edge for you? I'm not going to give a very good answer because I, looking at the stats right now, usually when I'm looking for a Cy Young, I like someone who excels at run prevention and who pitches a lot of innings. Corey Kluber was excellent at both of those things, but Justin Verlander was actually better. And I think it came down to those two in my head. And for whatever reason, I picked Corey Kluber. I don't remember why. And that's my answer. Yeah, the two of them were extremely <laughs> close for me as well. I think all three of us had, some, yeah, all three of us had um, Verlander, Kluber as one, two in some order. Um, Heather, you ended what? up going with Kluber as well. What was your main reasoning there? Well, I was going to ask uh, Alex. Do you think there's any, maybe not intentional, but some sort of inherent inherent bias in the fact that um, Kluber's team made the playoffs and Verlander's didn't? Maybe. I I was mentioning earlier that Verlander had a sneaky excellent year, meaning I barely even heard about it, I feel like. So Yeah, I didn't either. So perhaps that has something to do with it where even after I looked at his stats, I was like, well, okay, but I'm still going with Kluber because I knew the whole year he was he was great and for some reason I just wasn't hearing about Verlander as much. Um, I try not to take into um, account how how well a team is doing for a sport like baseball when it comes to to these awards. So I don't think that was impacting my decision, but I don't have a better answer as to why I definitively picked Kluber over Verlander. It, over Berlander. Like John said, it's just really, really close. I know when I think of Kluber, I'm pretty sure this is this him. All I can think of is that, that 18 strikeout game yeah, against yeah. the Cardinals. I know that yeah. was, you know, not even this season, it was last season, but I think that kind of was in the back of my mind a little bit when I when I was voting for these because he just, I just can't get that. It's like a, a waking nightmare almost where I just think about him like, oh, that was, it was like one of those things where it was terrible because it was happening to the Cardinals 
But if the Cardinals are going to get beat, at least I'm going to be entertained at the same time because it was incredible just watching him. So I think that might have partially weighed in on my decision. I'm pretty sure that Kluber had a better uh, fielding independent uh, fielder independent FIP, whatever the P stands for in FIP. Pitching. Pitching. Yeah. (laughs) The tricky one I know. I thought it was, but that seemed too obvious. <laughs> I'm like, there's no way it's pitching. Okay, yeah. yeah. So did... he was a little, little bit better there. It seemed so obvious, like they would be trying to trick you. Yes, yeah, like, I'm like it can't be pitching. It's <laughs> pitching. Okay. <laughs> yeah, Cooper led the AL in FIP, and I mean, it wasn't by a whole lot, just as his ERA deficit behind the other main contenders wasn't a whole lot either. And I, I can certainly see the argument for Kluber if you're more somebody that prefers. FIP versus ERA, and whenever it comes to awards, I guess I kind of go a little bit more ERA, though it's sort of a mix of the two. So, again, this was, whenever I was actually ranking between the two, I ended up actually just sort of, like, putting an arrow between them and sort of, like, flipping the order because I changed my mind on it because I originally had Kluber as my one. I was to say, their wins above replacement is, you know, 5.2 and 5.1. So it's almost, then there's ERA, it's like... A tenth home runs per fly, fly ball. It's a percentage, a point of a percentage point, and then strikeouts per nine. This is like half a strikeout. It's they're just so close through this whole thing. Walks. Let's see. Walks. Kluber's a little bit better. Like another. It's like percentage points that separate them. So I think the fact that they're close, I. It probably, honestly, probably is that game against the Cardinals that I just keep thinking of where I watched him. It's probably just like stuff-wise, Kluber's more stuck in my brain of how he just dominated the Cardinals that one time. (laughs) But here's a a question kind of going back to the topic at hand. Um, Obviously, the, the point of baseball is to score more runs than the other team. And if you have a pitcher who excels at preventing the other team from scoring, doesn't matter when it comes to who is the best pitcher, what his strikeout rate is, or what his fly ball. You know what I mean? I think it isn't is a- it kind of at the at the end. I mean, if you're talking about predictive performance for next year, then yeah, I think that stuff matters. But if we're just talking about who was the best pitcher to give you a chance, a team of winning. Does that stuff matter? I'm not arguing that it doesn't. I'm just curious what you all think. Yeah, I think that it depends on sort of the nature of how things are being done. Like when it comes to like the Cubs pitchers this year, for instance, a lot of them have a much lower ERA than they do fifth, but you could also argue that because they have such a good defense behind them, that's part of it. Yeah. But if you have guys who are, like there are certain guys who are able to have relatively sustainable track records of like a lot of ground balls or something like that, so they're able to have lower ERAs. The Cy Young for me, like it doesn't necessarily have to do with sustainable or repeatable performances but it does have to do with the best pitcher so talent is a consideration when I think of this so if someone's getting good results and they're doing it in a way that I don't really feel is based on their talent as much as it is um, or their or not even just talent but our philosophy 
it based on what they're trying to do and if it's not displaying their ability, uh, mm-hmm. then I'm going to be more apt to choose the pitcher that I think has more ability than the one that maybe got better results or equal results. So oh. if that makes any sense, it's no, not necessarily. It totally yeah. makes sense. I think I kind of agree with both of you. I usually prefer the pictures that are more described as having stuff as like nasty or filthy, you know, like. Right. And it is a skill to pitch to that defense and pitch in a way, you know, if you generate a lot of ground balls, that's a skill. But I think that the pictures that show like, and that's why sometimes with the Cy Young it's numbers, but I think also it's good to look at each picture like what they throw do they have a standout pitch uh do they have you know do they have how many pitches can they throw stuff like that too because i just think it's about if it's gonna if it's an award just about pitching then we need to look really closely at the pitches and what they throw and how good they are at throwing them Okay, I did find the uh, box score of that Corey Kluber game. It would find these interesting tidbits. One, do you guys remember who the left fielder who came in for Matt Holiday when he got injured was? Obviously, it's not going to be someone I'm thinking Peter of. Peter Borges. Oh. No, Peter Borges started in center, so he was unavailable. Dang it. And Mark Reynolds was DH, so that kind of led to another... Okay, long story short, Pete Cosman played left field. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. And the cleanup hitter for the Cleveland Indians was one Brandon Moss, so... I guess I just remember getting owned by yeah. uh, Kluber. Mm-hmm. That was the main memory. <laughs> and, it, and then Cody Allen coming in for the ninth. And number one on our AL Cy Young ballot is uh, Detroit Tigers starter Justin Verlander, who had quite a comeback season this year after a couple years of relative mediocrity. He had a 16-9 record, 227 and two-thirds innings, 3.04 ERA, 3.48 fielding independent ERA, and... To discuss Verlander, we have a uh, Viva Alberto's game recapper who did who uh, actually had Verlander at first place on his ballot, and he goes by Mr. Manager. I'm just going to keep calling you Mr. Manager just because it sounds very elegant. How are you doing, Mr. Manager? I'm feeling very elegant. Uh, I'm doing well, thank you. Awesome. All right. And as I mentioned, you had Verlander number one on your ballot, as did I, as did several people. It was relatively close between he and Corey Kluber, but... He ended up just edging him out. What was your reasoning behind Verlander at number one? You know, as I approach these, I default to kind of looking at uh, at the Fangraphs WAR numbers first at, at FIP, and that was this year just a really unhelpful exercise. There were I think seven different guys who were kind of clustered up between I think it's uh, 4.5 and 5.2 uh, wins above replacement on Fangraphs with the methodology they use, which. You know, I, there's really not a lot of daylight between four and a half and five point two. I mean, I, I didn't I didn't think that was a great way to decide. So then I went casting about for other things and looked at Baseball Reference, which just uses sort of an ERA based method. And there uh, you had Justin Verlander and Corey Kluber uh, as each being about a full win better than the rest of the AL pack. You know, that was how I narrowed it down to two and. The problem is from there, I think those guys were within like a tenth of each other uh, by both the fan graphs and baseball reference war. And uh, I stared at them for a while and kind of didn't think there was a very principled way to resolve it. What I ultimately ended up doing after thinking about it for long enough was going with what's maybe a little a little bit of more of an unprincipled way, which is uh, 
I looked at the I just compared their WPA, which is a uh, wins probability win probability added. Verlander's was like double Kluber's, uh, maybe a little more than double. And I know that's something that's going to be mostly driven by how high leverage the innings they pitch in are. Verlander happened to be pitching in closer games or, you know, happened to perform a little better in close situations than Kluber. That's something that's not really up to them as much as it's up to their offenses probably. But, uh, and so, you know, I don't, I don't like to make award decisions based on something like that that isn't really in the player's hands. But this was a case where I kind of needed a tiebreaker, and that was the the best one I could think of. I don't think that you could go wrong voting for either of these guys. Yeah, I didn't I didn't even look at win probability at it when it came to coming up with a decision. But as you mentioned before, they're so close that maybe I should have. Three guys, uh, Verlander, Rick Porcello, and Chris Sale, were all tied with 5.2 fan graphs wins. Corey Kluber had 5.1. Jose Quintana had 4.8. He wasn't even, you know, in our top five. So just really a, a crazy close grouping. I wonder if, like, part of me may have actually discriminated. This is so backwards, but it may have actually just, you know, given some bump to Verlander because he had fewer wins than Kluber. Hmm. Like, like, certainly you shouldn't. I'm not a believer in giving awards to pitchers because they have a lot of wins, but yeah. certainly the inverse wouldn't be true either. Yeah. But I think because Verlander had sort of the uh, the situation where he had, um, you know, as you mentioned before, he was in these closer games. He was on a less overall good team. Corey Kluber's going to the World Series. Justin Verlander missed the playoffs. Certainly commend him on coming back because I thought for sure a couple of years ago that his that he was basically done for, like sure. as far as being an elite pitcher. Like he was basically, I figured he was just going to basically be like a you know, Mark Burley for the rest of his career, some guy that just eats innings and is okay, but is not Cy Young caliber. And, you know, there's there's probably something to that. I, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if without realizing it, I'm reacting a little bit to his comeback and just being impressed by the fact that he did it Uh, and, and bumping him up a little bit in my mind for that reason. He's a guy that I looked at 12 months ago or 24 months ago and thought, well, maybe career's not over but he's he's down from his peak and is gonna sort of continue along as this above average guy rather than a great pitcher and uh i think this year he surprised a lot of people uh me included when he really when he almost had the have to look it up now but yeah he did have the highest strikeout rate of his career this year so i just sort of tip your cap to a guy who at age uh at age 33 was able to do that yeah absolutely And moving on to the American League MVP ballot, number 10 on the ballot is Francisco Lindor, the shortstop for the Cleveland Indians. He had uh, 684 plate appearances, so definitely a full season's worth. Uh, 15 home runs, 99 runs, 78 RBI, 19 stolen bases, uh, 301 batting average, 358 on base, 435 slugging, so a WRC plus of 112, which is... Maybe not upper echelon for an MVP candidate, but a superb defensive shortstop. I think certainly one of those players that it's a good thing that things like wins above replacement are around because it's a way to weigh the fact that like he's a good but not a great offensive player with the fact that he's has an elite glove and therefore he has a lot of value for that. And he's only 22. He's younger than me, so lots of time to... Don't worry, you're hitting right into your peak years of... <laughs> see, I'm ruined by the fact that Mike Trout's younger than me, so therefore I've spent several years realizing that all of these good players are younger than me, but you're going to hit your peak. And 
With Lindor, it's interesting because I think last year with Carlos Correa, he got all the hype, and there was a sense of Lindor's going to fall back and Correa's going to be the dominant shortstop going forward. And, you know, this year, while Correa was still fine, Lindor was the one who really stood out and, you know, certainly good for him and, you know, had a very good season. And makes great chocolate truffles. I'll take your word for it. (laughs) Yeah, he was number seven on your ballot, number 10 on mine. So we both acknowledge his overall goodness. Okay, number nine for AL MVP is David Ortiz of the Boston Red Sox. Sort of an interesting case is Ortiz because unlike everybody else who's on the ballot, not to give away everybody else who comes up, he was a designated hitter rather than a position player or a pitcher for that matter, but certainly had a very good season offensively. He had the second highest weighted runs created plus in the American League. He had 38 home runs. Uh, 315 batting average, 401 on base, 620 slugging. He was worth 4.4 fan graphs, wins above replacement. He actually did not make my ballot for MVP, nor did he make Heather's, but he did make the uh, artist known as Zoom Zoom J88, also known as Joel Dotson's ballot at number three. So, uh, Joel, what was your, I guess, main reasoning behind Ortiz? I mean, obviously he wasn't your number one, but for being in a very prominent spot on your ballot. I just basically took a look at the numbers, and I thought that he frankly deserved it. I mean, look at that, you know. 151 games, uh, 38 homers, 127 RBIs. That's the third time in his career that he uh, has led the American League in RBIs. Uh, Last two times were 05 and 06. And if you think about it, you know, I mean, yeah, it can get tiring with the farewell tours like Mariano Rivera, Derek Jeter. But, you know, he's 40 years old, and you're you're not going to see very many 40-year-old baseball players have quite the season that he did. Ortiz was certainly the best of the group that you mentioned during his farewell tour. Jeter was definitely not what he once was. Rivera was still good, but he wasn't quite the absolute peak Rivera. This is about as good as David Ortiz has ever been. It's a little bit hard to weigh, though. I think Heather probably agrees. The having a DH because you have to consider the fact they're not playing defense, but also that they're not hurting the team on defense, and all, just a lot of different math to go. Like personally, I don't, you know, weigh my personal opinions for or against the DH when it comes to it because I just accept that that's what the rule is. So kind of have to just judge the game as it's played. Yeah, and I mean, I understand that Ortiz wouldn't necessarily be a popular pick. I'm sure that a lot of people, you know, professionals or people like us who are just, you know, doing this for fun, you know, they're going to take a look at guys like Ortiz and say, oh, well, you know, he doesn't play in the field. And, you know, somebody else like Mookie Betts, Trout, Josh Donaldson, Miguel Cabrera, they do play the field. So, uh it's an unpopular opinion, perhaps, but he had a pretty good year, and I don't take that into account. But, you know, I'm a rebel, so that's nothing new. I think that um, it's not like I count it against him. It's just that that's value I couldn't count for him that I could count for other people that I voted for. So it wasn't like a strike against him that he was the DH, but it was something that I couldn't weigh in his favor. I couldn't take into consideration how he played in the field. And so that's why he never made it high enough to be on my ballot. But I can certainly see why 
someone would vote for him based on his offensive contributions. I mean, it would be hard to deny that Ortiz was certainly one of the 10 most valuable offensive players in the American League. And like, there is certainly a subjective element to weighing offense versus defense. Yeah, we have stats like wins above replacement, but even then there's still some gray area as far as just how much you believe everything should be considered, whether you want somebody that's a complete player or somebody that may not be as complete, but is just fantastic at what he's good at. Right. Which in the case of Ortiz, you know, he's about as good of a designated hitter in the American League as you're going to find. Number eight for American League MVP is Brian Dozier of the Minnesota Twins. He's somewhat of an interesting case. He had um, 42 home runs, so he led the American League in homers. He had 104 runs, 99 RBI, 18 steals, which for a, a power threat, it's, it's pretty good. Played second base, was a, a decent fielder of that, 132 WRC+. Plus. Sort of an interesting case, though, because it's sort of the argument of how much, how do you define valuable, and not only was Brian Dozier on a bad team, he was on the single worst team in baseball. Like, I personally don't really care that he was on a bad team. I'm just going to weigh him for what he produced to that team because, yeah, sure, they were the worst team in baseball with him. They'd be the worst team in baseball without him, but they would be a lot worse than they were. Like, he's still, like they still won some games. It's not like they were win. <laughs> this isn't, you know, the 2008 Detroit Lions where they don't win any games. Like, he's still, you know, some wins matter, even if they weren't getting him to the playoffs. Uh, number seven, another second baseman, Robinson Cano of the Seattle Mariners. He had 715 plate appearances, 39 home runs, 107 runs, 103 RBI. He was a pretty good fielder, 138 WRC+, plus, so a little bit better than Dozier. I think that this is going to be a case where Cano's going to probably do quite a bit better in the actual MVP balloting than Dozier, even though he was you know, maybe slightly better, but you know, close. And it's a little bit like he's going to end up getting it a bigger bump because Seattle was in the playoff chase pretty much through the last weekend of the season. And the Twins were very evidently very bad right away. But, you know, whether it's for the right reason or not, he's going to do well. He actually, um, yeah, you had Cano on your ballot. You didn't have Dozier on yours. I had Cano two spots higher than Dozier. So not, not a huge amount of gap there, I don't think, but... Cano had a pretty good year comparative, like, to last season. I didn't realize, I knew that he had dropped off a little because he just signed that big contract with the Mariners and people were talking about if it was going to hold up. And um seems like he has come back pretty well. Last year was not a great year for him offensively. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those contracts where because he's going to be, you know, quite a bit older by the time it ends, it may not end up working out in the long term. But at least in the short term, they're getting sort of surplus value on that contract early on. And they may end up, you know, losing it and then some on the back end. But, you know, at least for now, he's doing well. It's not like this is a contract where he's just immediately... Uh, number six for the AL MVP ballot is Adrian Beltre of the Texas Rangers. Sort of the ageless wonder that he is keeps playing well. He had 32 home runs, um, OPS of I'm doing the math off the top of my head 879. The 130 WRC plus continues to play Gold Glove caliber third base, and I think he's just one of those guys that's just not going to go away. Like, you would think by now Beltre would be, you know, moved to, like, first base, or he would just 
would just be done for, but he keeps producing. He had 104 RBI on the season, which I believe was it was certainly up there in terms of the uh, AL lead. Really, what more is there to say that hasn't been said many times in the past about Adrian Beltre? He's fantastic, right? Like that's pretty much all there's to say. He did get what was it seventh place votes that he kept getting all the seventh oh, place that's, votes that's for some right. reason. <laughs> yeah, we we had a, a weird statistical anomaly where Beltre had no more than like one vote at every different place except for seventh place, where he got five seventh place votes, which <laughs> I don't know how that happened. <laughs> But he ended up finishing sixth overall, so go figure. But I believe both of us... Actually, I had Beltre getting a seventh-place vote, and you actually voted him fourth. So you were a little bit more bullish on him than I was. But I like him. He's funny. That's, he is. That adds value to me. Yeah, the, the comedy value uh, added plus <laughs> is off the charts for Adrian Beltre. So yeah. give him a little bit of bump there. The top five were actually pretty solidly ahead of the bottom five on our ballot for overall production. Number five on the ballot was Manny Machado, the third baseman and part-time shortstop for the Baltimore Orioles. He had 37 home runs, 105 runs, 96 RBI, a WRC plus of 129, so a very good offensive player. Continues defensively to be one of the best in baseball. He wasn't his defensive run saves were a little bit below what it was in previous years, but still well above average. It's more a testament to how good he's been in the past than him having some sort of deficit this year. And I think that I actually gave him a little bit of a bump mentally. Like, I had him fourth on my ballot. He finished fifth in this one. I gave him a little bit of a bump just because he was able to play shortstop and third base. And the fact that he was able to show that versatility... Like, there's always this sense, because he came up as considered a pretty good fielding shortstop, but because of J.J. Hardy, never really got to play for the Orioles. And once there were injuries, injuries this year, he was able to get his chance, and I think he did very well in those opportunities, and just proved that he had it in him all along, and he was playing third base because that's where there was a fit, not because he couldn't play further up on the defensive spectrum. So he's just a great defensive player, for sure. And a good offensive player, so I think he'll be a perennial candidate for this. Yeah, like this is not the end of Manny Machado's run. And in fourth place for AL MVP is Josh Donaldson of the Toronto Blue Jays. The Blue Jays third baseman, who was the AL MVP last year, had a 284 batting average, 404 on base, 549 slugging percentage. He had 37 home runs, 122 runs scored, 99 RBI, uh, 155 WRC+, plus, uh, 7.6 fan graphs war, and I had him third on my ballot. Heather had him second, and we have a, uh, a rare person on today who actually had Donaldson first on his ballot, and that was, once again, Dr. Howell, a.k.a. George. My question would just be, what was your reasoning about... And there's a lot of great players in the AL, obviously. What was your reasoning for Donaldson at the best of the group? Um, Donaldson seemed to really propel the offense of the Blue Jays on a team that had a lot of good hitters. Um, I think he's a great third baseman. His defense is above average by a tick. So it's like that power-hitting infielder that's a little more rare these days i think is part of the appeal yeah i think like looking at his defensive stats they were a little bit down from previous years i'm willing to accept that that might just be a a fluke of sampling that he might actually just be a better feeler than suggested 
How much of a bump did you give him for the fact that he was on a playoff team? Like compared to like some of the other candidates for MVP were also on playoff teams, but others were on very you know poor teams. Like we mentioned earlier, Brian Dozier was on literally the worst team in baseball, and he made our ballot. So where do uh, you rank the uh, where do you rank team success, if at all, in your calculus? It, it might be more about just giving someone else it besides Trout. Okay, I feel like we should uh, put a beep in there, but we may hear that name later. Well, uh-huh. <laughs> not to mention any names of possible Sorry. candidates later, but things are getting a little bit fishy here, I guess you could say. And, <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, Tra- or sorry, Donaldson can Redacted, steal some base steal some bases sometimes. Um He's he is good. Like he uh I'm kind of going over his stats now. Because I had him did I have him second or him third? Second, yeah. I can't remember. Second. Yeah, so like batting profiles maybe reminds me of Matt Carpenter a little bit, uh, with the the walks and the relatively lower strikeout rate. He's also on Vikings, which gave him extra points uh-huh. for me. Uh, because that's one of my favorite shows. Apparently, it's his favorite show, and he has ra- ha- or had Ragnar hair. Thank you very much for this uh, sterling analysis of baseball and only looking at the numbers. <laughs> I try my best. I think Donaldson yeah. is kind of a quietly, like, really great. And at number three for American League MVP, we have Houston Astros second baseman Jose Altuve. He had uh, 24 home runs, 30 stolen bases. 338 batting average, 396 on base percentage, 531 slugging for a 150 WRC plus. A little bit below average defensively, but playing second base, so there's some added value just by virtue of playing a difficult position. Any other uh, Altuve takes? I appreciate that he does all this while being uh, physically short. Dim- short. Okay. I was going to say dimin- diminutive in physical stature, but. That also works too. He's yeah. a short player, and I appreciate that about him. So, like as a fellow short person, you feel a solidarity with him. Yes. I hate to break it to you. He he is a little bit taller than you, but not not much, but a little bit. And I just respect that about him. Some short people can do things too. Yeah, they can hit twenty four home runs for the Astros and finish third in the VEB balloting for MVP. Though you only had him at number six, so apparently you don't like him that much. But that's neither here nor there. You still had him on the ballot, so that's good enough. Heather's giving me a look of death for anybody who's uh, who's listening along. Uh, number two on the AL MVP, we have Red Sox right fielder Mookie Betts. Uh, Betts had 31 home runs, 122 runs scored, 113 RBI, 26 stolen bases. Uh, triple slash line was 318, 363, 534. He led the American League in base running runs and was a very well above average defensive right fielder. In a weird way, Mookie Betts kind of reminds me of what Jason Hayward was last year for the Cardinals, like to a greater degree. Like where he was a good hitter, but not absolute like God tier sort of hitter, but just so well-rounded and contributed so much value in quieter ways. But you know, by virtue of playing in a Red Sox lineup where he has David Ortiz right next to him in the lineup, helped him get a lot of attention, which maybe in past eras, even with the RBI total, would get a little bit overlooked. Uh, first place, by a pretty whopping margin, he had almost double the total number of points as Mookie Betts, was Los Angeles Angels center fielder Mike Trout. No way. No, I, I'm absolutely serious. Mike Trout, he had... Just to give you a rundown in case you haven't been following, he's a pretty good player. 
He had uh, 29 home runs, 123 runs, 100 RBI, 30 stolen bases. Um, led the league with a 441 on base percentage. He had a 550 slugging percentage, which, looking, I believe, was third in the American League behind David Ortiz and Miguel Cabrera. He had a 171 WRC plus, which, if you were listening before, you realized that Gary Sanchez, who we were talking about how incredible of a start he had, Trout had that over 681 plate appearances uh, while playing a slightly above average defensive center field for the fifth straight season he led the led major league baseball and wins above replacement may not end up winning the actual mvp this year by virtue of being on a pretty bad team but certainly will get at least some consideration and within the veb community did very well first place vote from myself first place vote from heather Anything else to say other than Mike Trout's really good and they should probably just name the AL MVP award after him since he can't seem to win very many of them? Yeah, no kidding. And it should be the Mike Trout, like, honorary... There should be some award for being clearly the best player and just getting snubbed out of it. I think, didn't the year he win, wasn't that 2014, which was statistically his worst season? Yeah, 2014 he won... Which was 7.9 wins above replacement still. Yeah, he was still the best player in the AL by war, but he was also on a team that won 98 games, so that was the big factor there. The weirdest one was his rookie year, where he ended up losing MVP to Miguel Cabrera, and I mean, partially that was Cabrera winning the Triple Crown, but one of the big arguments was that Cabrera's team made the playoffs and Trout's didn't, but Trout's team won more games, and Cabrera's team got in because they were in a weaker division. He's had a weird run of... No one wants to give him the MVP, and it's weird because you look at his stats and they are just incredible. You know, I don't feel like we've seen a player of this caliber since maybe Bonds. Well, like, well, Trout's sort of a different player. I guess there's a little bit of parallels to, like, early Bonds, but, like, Trout's up there with, like, Mickey Mantle, Willie Mays, kind of just overall production at the center field position. Like, he's up there in terms of, like, probably being one of the five or ten best hitters. He's doing that while being a very good base runner. He was second to Mookie Betts in base running runs. His defense is a little bit hard to judge. He hasn't, he's never been quite as good as he was in 2012, where he was, like, the best fielder in baseball, but... Still generally considered pretty good. He's doing it at center field, which is a above-average difficulty position. And, you know, Mike Trout may end up not winning the MVP, but he at least wins our MVP, so he can put that on his mantle, I guess. 